Hey, everybody. Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate an elevated level, you get even more bonus content, a digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today, and now back to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Lines Led by Donkeys podcast. Uh, I am Joe, and with me still is fellow brother in the, uh, of, of, the, of the Hong Christ of the Heavenly King, Nate. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. You know, I'm excited to learn more about this series. I'm excited to learn more about how weird it can get because I, I said this online. I don't really use social media that much anymore, but I did say this online that I'm learning a lot about, uh, about Chinese history and particularly the, I was not expecting the Irish execution squad. My head is still kind of reeling from that one. And I made a comment and I just feel like we need to say this in advance because on one hand, it's like, you don't want to be, we we try to avoid, and this show is much better than many others about trying to, you know, avoid being the podcast where you recap Twitter. We don't do that. This is a history podcast. You do a great job. You do a ton of research, but I have to thank uh, comedian Jacob Hatton, friend of one of my other shows, for sending me a screenshot of a tweet, which I'm not 100% a fan of the, the Pepe Groiper fucking avatar. Yeah, I this did is see a, that. I was like, ooh boy. <laughs> ooh boy, yeah. This is not, not good. However, this is an extremely funny tweet uh, relevant to the series where the tweet says, Chinese history is like warlord Wu Tu Tai of the Flying Panda faction engaged Prince Li Ji of the Qing dynasty at Dragon Pass in the War of Heavenly Ascension. Casualties, 30 million. That's just basically what we're experiencing in this series, and and this is not the most extreme example from you know, uh, pr- like early modern or pre modern Chinese history. So, uh, yeah, yeah, excited. I, I I do have to say this this series, and you know, we've done a couple other episodes, uh, like the the Pirate Queen, uh, really got me stuck on Chinese history. Um, like because everybody who's listened to the show for a while, and especially you, who's had to deal with my bullshit for almost five years now. Uh, knows I get I get caught in like wormholes of, of of different pieces of history that I cannot get out of because I'm interested in it and that that is how my my research methods goes like what is interesting to me because I'm the one that has to read everything so like that is definitely where I'm at now uh, to the detriment maybe of people who are sick of hearing about Chinese history deal with it I guess I don't know I don't know it's just rules and I also think that like. I, I, we said this before on the previous episode that obviously there's like a an amateurish take here because we're not experts and we we don't know nearly enough about Chinese language and culture. But even going on what you might call like in terms of academic history, a relatively superficial dive into this stuff, it's still really entertaining and interesting. And I think the thing that I keep coming back to when we talk about this stuff is the sheer massive scale of it. The the sheer the the size of the the players involved the duration of some of these things the the kind of like overlapping events the fact that oftentimes you're having both you know domestic crises revolutions rebellions things along these lines you're also having tons and tons of international pressure because China is this you know jewel in the crown of various empires in terms of like what the kind of plunder they want to take from it and so. It's just, it's always fascinating. It basically, like, once again, to use my newest and now most beloved metaphor, 
it's basically playing Age of Empires 4 on absurd mode. Being Chinese history is just the AI can gather resources twice as fast as you and it's just constantly human waving you. Like, it sucks, yeah. but it's fascinating. Uh, and I, before we get started, I do have to acknowledge, ever since the episode came out about the, the dog blood horseshit gunpowder, I have had so many people send me detailed recipes of how exactly this works, and no, I cannot legally read them because that's illegal, um, uh, putting out effectively a bomb recipe on a podcast. But I thanks, I guess... Um, uh, like, I didn't know that we had so many people uh, that were amateur or professional chemists that listened to the show. I mean, it's funny, as a side note, and we won't, we, won't, we won't derail this, but this has happened to me before on What a Hell of a Way to Die when I've talked about my continuing adventure as like guy who just woke up one day and discovered that he was an IT manager dealing with network equipment and running connections and, and finding like hardware solutions or cabling solutions uh you know for some of the, the just the specific issues that i've got here at the studio for like what we want to do and i've gotten some great emails from people and some great dms from people some really good advice you know just like it's been interesting the degree to which you know if we talk about like we talked about sandwiches and uh i need to thank this person I, i've been lazy and haven't replied i got a very detailed message from an american in switzerland about here's some great options for sandwiches in geneva uh, <laughs> talked about talked about running a display port over USB-C and doing a long like hybrid fiber cable to try to solve a problem and i got a message from someone being like hey i work in it and specifically like if it works it works but this this may not be a good idea because it's kind of like an unproven like un it's an uncommon setup so like there's a good chance stuff won't work with it and yeah, like it's been cool. I enjoy that. And so I I think for me that feedback's incredible, but also like it makes me wonder sometimes like what kind of bizarre niche occupations some of our listeners have. And for this episode in particular, like uh I hope we haven't offended any of the 19th century Chinese historians who listen um to the research chemists and or amateur bomb gunpowder dog shit horse blood builder <laughs> uh aficionados uh we appreciate your enthusiasm, but we also have to say, please don't do anything incriminating to you or us. Yeah, I, uh, I this is a, I'm, what's this? I'm getting a call from our podcast lawyer, uh, Carrie. Uh, we have to say, please do not build bombs out of dog blood and horse shit. And at a personal level, I just don't want to know where you get that much dog blood from. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, now, when we when we left you last time, the the Taiping Heavenly Kingdom, ruled of course by who else? Jesus Christ's little brother, was rapidly circling the drain due to the combined effects of famine, military losses, Chinese military reform, and large scale Western help. So, just to go back to what happened in the last episode after the 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 failed rebel attack on Shanghai, I cannot overstate enough how catastrophic. This was to rebel forces at the time, um, because previous to this, remember, like we talked about, this was like a riverborne rebellion for a long time. They controlled the the rivers, hence their rapid advance. Uh, you know, they made a deal with a pirate named Big Head uh, to let them do it. Um, but those days were long, long gone. And a lot of this comes down to a guy named Zhang Gaokuan. Uh, now, I do have to point out, there does seem to be something of a bit of a cult of personality around him. Um, and he also has a brother. Uh, same thing. They're, they're kind of lionized, despite the fact all of the awful shit we're about to talk about with it, what they're going to do. 
Um, he was a very successful leader in the imperial government, and he had sent gunboats behind the rebel line of retreat, conducting what I guess is mo- most easily described as a river-wide drive-by shooting with cannons. Um, rebel troops... I mean- <laughs> <laughs> kind of cool. Let's be real, but yeah, I mean that, that whips that fucking whips. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, all right, all right, all right. I was, I was, I was kind of like you know, I was trying to be cautious in my praise for it. But now that I can be honest, now that you've broken the ice, it fucking whips ass. I'm sorry. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, it, it's nice when there's like no good guy, uh, or like th- nobody here is particularly worse than the others. Like, obviously, the heavenly king is nuts, and his troops have committed horrific crimes. But I will say that the imperial government does significantly worse shit in this episode. So uh, there's there's really there's no good guy here, and nobody involved is a Nazi. So you don't have to worry about saying like, okay, something this guy did was actually pretty cool, and end up praising a Nazi. So like, we're kind of in new territory here as a show. Yeah, that is yeah, exactly. I mean, in a way, when you are not obligated to out of some semblance of you know like empathy. Okay, maybe you want to have empathy. You don't want to be compl- a complete sociopath. But when there's not an obvious good and bad side that does at least free you up to just abandon the, your standard like moral parameters and just assess things on a badassness metric. Yeah, and on, on, a, on the dude's rock scale. Yeah, exactly. Like, like this is one of those things where you know we're Americans, and even if we weren't Americans, it would be pretty challenging. To find yourself, you you would be a huge piece of shit if you supported fascist Italy and you supported Mussolini. But obviously, we also know that the U.S. Army commits and has always committed incredible amounts of atrocities. We we were in the U.S. military and we saw people fucking the way that shit gets spun when there was you know an obvious wrongdoing and they did everything they possibly could. Side note: everything they possibly could to uh to 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 explain it away. And side note, just just as a clear thing, just this call, call this call this Nate's law. If you ever see a thing online, like a viral boomer meme about like this American soldier was falsely convicted for killing someone in Afghanistan, he was defending the America and he was fighting terrorism, and the woke American military prosecuted him. Listen, if they were convicted for in Afghanistan or they were charged in Afghan in Iraq in in the country that they were deployed to and they were convicted by mil- the, U- the military justice system, they fucking did it. They, they fucking did They fucking, like, they fucking did it. They, there is, they will do everything they possibly can to find some uh, plausible Wait a minute, are you telling me that William Kelly is actually guilty? What the fuck? <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, like, like, like Mike Pahanna and oh, fucking yeah, yeah. all these other guys. But what I'm trying to say is, so that, that's, that's my side note. But getting back to my point, which You've like- You've heard say, of rule 34. This is rule Nate- yeah, right. Well, we, we, on on on, tra- on trash future, we have Riley's law, which is that once someone starts turf posting, they'll never post normal again. That's hundred percent true. Yeah, hundred percent true. Uh, but, but having having said this, okay, obviously, I want to close. I've closed one set of parentheses. I have to close the next one and the other interlocking set before we get back to what we're talking about. But the thing I want to say is that you would be a piece of shit to support Mussolini. But also, I understand people not wanting to be like, oh, the U.S. Army is fucking badass. However, you have to say that it is at least badass that in the Italian campaign in the European theater of operations in World War II, uh, GIs determined that a useful ersatz mine clearing method was to drive around in a Jeep with a dude on the hood shooting mines with a forty-five. Yeah, dude, That is rock. badass. That fucking rocks. So, like, once again, what I'm saying is that you... And that is really high up there on the dude's rock scale, I have to yeah, say. Yeah, it, it fucking whips. Like, 
we we aren't abandoning our morals, our ethics, our understanding of of you know a desired mode of human behavior. But we are at least going to acknowledge that since there's not an explicit good guy and bad guy here, we're gonna allow for some badassness even on the side of the people who, let's be real, are insane. Yeah, I mean everybody here kind of sucks. Um, and like, and I have to point out how large scale this boat born drive by shooting was because rebel troops have been trying to flee back across the river, and there were so many of them that they covered the riverbank for two miles. So the target rich environment for our, for our boat heroes here. Um, and as they, and not to mention, remember behind them is, you know, they have the river on one side full of gunboats shooting at them. Uh, and then behind them is a, a, the Imperial army and like mercenaries and Western forces as well. Um, and some, while they're getting absolutely ethered with cannon fire, they have to try to like swim of course, this doesn't work because remember, they have been starving and marching for thousands of miles. They're so weak that they can't also, swim across the river. And also, like if you're trying to swim to safety, if they've got, well, look, international swimming is in kilometers. Apologies. But two miles is 3,200 meters. Like you can't swimming across the river. You're going to get fucking killed or you're going to drown and swimming to a safer part of down the riverbank. Well, unless you are like ultra Michael Phelps. You're swimming <laughs> 3,200 meters under fucking gunfire to find a part of the riverbank that is not lined up with people. So, yeah, hey, kind of a, kind of in a bad spot there. Caught between a rock and a hard place, and the rock and the hard place is also being shot at by a guy in a and boat. And also, you're not Michael Phelps, and even if you were, you don't have the fucking nuclear-grade weed that gave him superpowers, <laughs> so it's just not, it's not happening for you. Just this, some Taiping conscript ripping, like, the fattest bowl of shatter on Earth and racing <laughs> across the river. <laughs> 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 yeah, exactly. He doesn't have to worry about the distances involved because if you smoke that much fucking wax, you actually can open a time portal and just pass right through it. It'll, it it's like when SpongeBob was right against David Hasselhoff's back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like like, like I, I set this this morning of a screenshot of, of Captain Kirk and a bunch of people from the bridge of the original Enterprise on the original series choking and grabbing at their necks choking and just saying this is old guys when they try the new weed. So like I just I am I, this morning my brain was already in this position of just sort of like weed is not for me because they fucking they fucking put it in in like an expansion machine like there's just everything about it is so much stronger now that yeah so I really appreciate your ultra specific reference to shatter there because that's just yeah like it's it's like it's like all like in my day weed was just the weed you got from the weed man it was weed flavored that was the strain and now it's just like now it's like it's just it, you know it's like they it, it, you you've gone from like a basic hammer and nail to one of these just like insane german precision engineering you know setups like you've got like 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 a hydraulic press level of fucking the, the power this thing has got and it's just yeah i this, it's this, not for me anymore it sucks this but you is know why what? i like, just drink <laughs> yeah. yeah i don't, I don't drink healthy yeah i don't i basically don't drink anymore uh, I, cause, cause it's a weird side note, but yeah, once again, derailing Joe, but the, the meds make me not want to drink. And if you do drink on the meds, like it can be kind of bad. So, uh, yeah, it's probably a good call. 
Well, you don't feel it. So it's like, you don't feel, you, you just, I, I said this to you in private, but it's just a strange sensation because yeah, you drink three pints and you're like, I'm just as mentally clear and I'm not drunk. And then you just bump into every table because <laughs> you are actually drunk, but your brain doesn't feel that way. So you can imagine how dangerous that is. And it, and it makes a hangover worse. So yeah, I just like, I like have a beer if it's offered to me or a glass of wine, but like I don't drink at home on my own. I, I just like don't drink anymore. It's actually, it actually kind of rules, but I don't have like a mind altering substance I can really take. I guess I could get into like fucking shrooms or something. I don't know, but I just, it's going to start now. dabbling in crocodile. Yeah. I just, I, 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 I vape, I vape elf bars. They're terrible for the environment. Like that's my vice. I know I have they're one bad. in my hand. I have one right next to me right now. And I know for a fact that like fucking, that they're gonna, you know, like, like on a long enough timeline, like you could do a whole battery-powered freight train with the amount of lithium batteries these things throw <laughs> in the goddamn rivers. But like, I'm gonna, look, I'm gonna build a, I'm gonna build an e-car that's powered only by my fucking elf bar cartridges I throw in the trash, and then it's gonna catch on fire and kill me. But it's probably better for the environment than the diesel Volkswagen Jetta with a front hood smokestack for rolling coal that I saw in bedford indiana like this smokestack literally obstructed the driver's field of vision (laughs) i fucking i don't want to move back to the midwest but there are times when i'm home when i'm just like oh man we just do it different than anywhere else like we're just we're all insane speaking of insane um so while all this is going on so obviously things are not going great for the rebellion right and if things weren't bad enough for uh, the heavenly king, Shi Dekai, the vaunted wing king and restaurateur of fried chicken, um, was, you know, at this point after the last episode, he's a political opponent of the king, um, because mostly because of his strength. He, he was, in my opinion, the best commander that the rebels had, and he surrendered to the imperial government in 1863. Um, now, this wasn't because of political problems back in the capital, like his family being massacred that we talked about. His army was surrounded and exhausted. They had been campaigning nonstop for like they covered 15 provinces and 6,000 miles. Uh, His army had fallen into shambles from war losses, the progressive creep of famine and widespread disease that was that was gripping every rebel formation, but as well as every city that the rebels held. Um, There was just nothing left for them. After having his strength sapped for so long and being chased by the now much more competent imperial forces, he saw no way out other than surrender. So he simply walked into the local imperial commander's camp and gave up, offering because he knew he was going to be executed. He wasn't stupid. He's like, yeah, I'm fucked. Yeah. But he offered like, look, execute me, but spare my men. Specifically, uh, like the core of his army was like this core of veterans have been with them since the very beginning. It was like 4,000 or so guys. Um, and he knew he was dead no matter what. He's like, spare my men and, you know, uh, uh, leave my family alone because he had another family with him. Uh, he had like five wives and several kids. Uh, th- like only a few of his wives and a few of his kids had been massacred uh, at, in the heavenly capital. Um, so, well, it turned out he was hundred percent right. He was executed by slow dismemberment. However, uh, the government didn't see this as a fair exchange and executed his entire army in the thousands. Uh, uh his, yeah, his family went with him. Christ. Yeah. All right. Well, um, once again, if you heard the various atrocities committed by Hong's forces and you thought to yourself, these are the bad guys and they suck. Like, uh, I guess. 
you've now received a dispensation to admire some of the badass dumb things they do because obviously the imperial government is just as bad just oh, as fucking bad this is where i get to say that they uh they're gonna do worse things it's gonna get ah, much worse <laughs> ah i love our show's catchphrase whoops um now these defeats absolutely signaled the 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 imperial government's campaign of reconquest that was not going to slow down so in the middle of all of this what did hong the the heavenly king have to say about this back in the capital nothing he didn't even acknowledge his rebellion setbacks and he wasn't really acknowledging much of anything anymore as his kingdom died hong it turned out had stopped hearing the word of god and his oh. Older brother, Jesus Christ, had stopped coming to him in his dreams. So he took this as like, I have to wait. I have to wait until they tell me what to do next. So he just didn't do anything. And General Li Shi Cheng, the rebel commander who had led the failed attempt on Shanghai, managed to survive long enough to get back to the capital. Li was smart enough to see the writing on the wall all around him at this point. Uh, and he knew that, well... We're well and truly fucked. The kingdom is dying. And he told Hong the best thing they could possibly do if they want to continue the fight was to stockpile everything that they had left, namely food and ammunition, inside the heavenly capital and turn into a fortress because they knew the siege was eventually going to come. Small problem with that, though. Hong pretty much didn't control anything at this point. Remember during the last episode how he surrounded himself no longer with his celestial family, but his real one? Yes. These guys turn out to be much worse at governing than the celestial family. It's weird. It's weird to think that like, you know, that the degree of nepotism involved here doesn't really change that much. And yet one is significantly worse than the other. I think what it comes down to is the celestial family were true believers. Right, right, right. For whether you want to consider that a pro war or a con, I'll leave that up to you. But his family wasn't. Uh, from the very beginning, remember, like his family wasn't really putting up with his shit. Um, but once he gained power and immense wealth, they were, you know, along for the ride. Of course, uh, yeah. Rather than stockpile the shit they would need to continue to live and to continue to fight, the Royal Jesus family, which is what I'm calling them for some reason, was forbidding civilians within the wall from buying any food. The reason for that was, ah, but to buy food, you need a permit for that food. And you couldn't get that because remember, there's no private trade within the city walls. They, so they would have to buy food outside the city walls in order to leave the city. You would need a passport. So you'd have to buy that passport to go anywhere. The problem is, at this point, the rebellion had effectively rang everybody dry. There's nothing left. Because remember, like, if you had money, if you're, you know, a, let's say above middle class, they took your money and they put it all in that community treasury, which they then used to build palaces and shit. Um, so the people left with anything couldn't afford to do this because and you know, that's not even accounting in all the years of war, famine, disease and, and poverty that comes with all of those things. So, gotcha. so anybody with any real amount of money found themselves like paying more and more to the rebels and getting nothing back. And then the few people who actually could afford this process, which was very, very few, found their money being given directly to Hong's family. Then they would get the passport. They would go outside, buy food, and bring it inside, only 
Surprise, there's a new tax. All the food being brought into the city is taxed to hell, making it cost five times as much as it would in any sane world. And then on top of that, half the time they'd go out, you know, they'd spend their money on their passports to go buy money on food and prep to pay this insane tax and they came back in. But then there was no food to buy. And this isn't because the heavenly kingdom didn't actually have food, but we'll get to that in a bit. So let's say if you're the few people who could bring in food, then even fewer people who want to do it after seeing how badly they're getting fucked. So after someone goes through this process once or twice, like, I'm not doing this anymore. So therefore, the rebel food supply remained completely outside their own capital walls. And you can see how this is becoming a bit of a problem for anybody staring down the barrel of a siege. Yeah. Yeah, I would say. I mean... um. Uh, there, there is a, a, a Microsoft real-time strategy game that I name a lot of times and name check, and I don't need to name it again, in which you might have gained experience to learn that this is a bad idea. And so I feel as though if your average person, you know, playing a, a you know, perspective, like a isometric perspective strategy game, could be like, no, that sounds like a bad idea. I feel like it's probably a bad idea. And, and, and most people were telling Hong this as well, but like he just like, okay. didn't care. It, if your your fortress is like a tiny river confluence and there's literally no room to grow food there, well then yeah, that makes sense. You probably have to get it elsewhere and store as much as you can. Get 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 a Russian oligarch in London series of sub basements installed in your river fortress or keep and get it, you know, get it stocked up and provisioned. Lots and lots of barrels on top of barrels, like looks like a craft beer place. And then you have but, to employ Donkey Kong to throw those barrels. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's that's the side bonus is that Donkey Kong can be like your quartermaster, but then if you actually get overrun, then he just he goes full sicko mode. But what, <laughs> what, what, he would keep what, the one Italian guy away from the last episode. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know what? Uh, he can't really help you against the Imperial Army, but he might be able to help you against the fucking pesky Italians. Basically, by both hitting them with a barrel and also recommending a really fucked up recipe for a bolognese sauce <laughs> snapping noodles in half before you put them in the water oh yeah exactly exactly it's just it's just like hypnosis on italian troops uh wh- what i'm trying to say though is that in the absence of environmental conditions that make it impossible you, you feel as though you kind of want to at a bare minimum like safeguard your food supply as much as possible and like i don't know it, it, if you got the option, which it sounds like, if I understand it correctly, and I realize there's not a visual in front of me, if I understand it correctly, they had the uh, some option of some kind of, you know, safeguarding food within... Oh, yeah, they absolutely could have done this if they wanted to. Yeah, so basically what really happened was that he wasn't getting visions from Christ because the China White that he was smoking wasn't actually fucking working anymore. Yeah, I mean, and he so, got so high, he employed fucking Donkey Kong. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, like, that's that's... <laughs> That's the thing, though, dude. I'm going to be honest with you is that like that could be an opium delusion. But given the stuff that's come out of left field in this series so far, if you told me that at this point that like they had a trained ape that was throwing <laughs> barrels at people, I would believe you. I would genuinely believe you. To quote Futurama, I know that monkey. His name is Donkey. <laughs> um, now, now, none of this information was a secret to the imperial government. The rebel like camp at this point was thick with spies and formants, and they were perfectly able to freely travel as the wheels of the rebellion rapidly fell off. Because remember, the police state that Hong and his functionaries had kind of set up with all the different camps and everybody being ran by a fucking 18-year-old sergeant or whatever, that began to melt away pretty quickly under the stress of starvation and disease as well as all of these functionaries are eventually just being forced into the military. So 
the 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 mechanisms of control are also failing and you know there's spies all over the heavenly capital so in june of 1863 bao chow of the Xiang army a man who had literally worked his way up from a fucking cold stoker at the beginning of this rebellion to being an army commander by its end ordered his fleet to run down the yangtze river and take jiufu island which controlled the northern shore of the river and therefore the northern approach to the heavenly capital. So like there, the noose is rapidly closing on on the rebellion. And while this is happening, the rest of the Imperial army had been marching towards them steadily from the West. The few rebel armies that had still managed to been duct taped together uh, in that direction virtually evaporated at the first sign of combat. Uh, this is due to a complete collapse of any logistical system that they had in place and the fact that they're all victims of the famine. Like the army isn't being fed. The army isn't being supplied. And soon it's just like starving dudes at a trench line with no ammo, probably a, a fucking surplus of dog blood and, and horse shit, but nothing else. Yeah. Can't really eat that. You can make it explode, but you can't eat it. <laughs> yeah. As the armies move in closer and closer, they seize the outlying towns and villages right outside the capital. And that is where the Imperial Army finds the kingdom's food stock in the hundreds, possibly thousands of tons. Now, if you're thinking as to why there was such a horrible goddamn famine if they had so much food lying around, nobody is entirely sure. But we do have some ideas, and I also have you know, some opinion. Remember, the Taiping Christian belief it was that suffering brings you closer to God and heaven. And you don't die, you simply ascend to the celestial kingdom and the promised land. So relieving the suffering of those in need would actually go in direct opposition to that idea, right? You'd think. But I don't actually think that's why. Um, That is just my uh, working within their ideological framework. I'm trying to come up with something, but I don't think that's actually why. What I think would actually happen is by this point, the famine was even hurting the royal family within the capital. So they... They were either so bought into their own shit, they allowed themselves to suffer, making them the first royal family in human history to ever do so, or they were so bad at their jobs, they actually couldn't transfer the food into the city, or simply did not know they had it due to bad record keeping due to the rampant bloat and corruption that had worked its way into the rebel civilian administration. Because even the army wasn't getting the food. So, like, there has to be some disconnect. Nobody was just hoarding it. Everybody's starving. Look, I mean, you might be able to fund free college education for every American with the money that was wasted on people using open supply codes in the deployment supply system to buy, like, Gerber tools that they just thought looked cool. But our supply system would at least make sure that it knew if we had food. And if you wound up getting a palette of sundry items like fucking dish soap and laundry detergent instead of food it was because someone put the wrong shit in there not because there wasn't food so we also know a lot about corruption and bloat and imperial incompetence but we we also typically got fed so this does feel as though like yeah you're right the 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 ride or die wing kings probably wouldn't have tolerated this degree of fucking sucking at things but unfortunately, they were gone. Yeah, it, it, it seems that the true believers who are actually good at administration, because they did exist a couple episodes ago. Like you yeah, can't, you can't I be, recall that. Yeah, you can't be bad at administration and put in 
such a, a psychotic level of control over over a, a large kingdom uh to be fair but you know under the stress of everything that happening not to mention everybody dying and starving and remember cannibalism is everywhere at this point oh yuck uh so like <laughs> understatement of a lifetime cannibalism yeah, exactly, yeah. yuck oh yuck yeah uh, bad. And, and especially like it it seems that everybody that was good at their job had been purged uh they've been killed in combat died from disease died of starvation uh like this is a shell of a, a of a kingdom and it's a shell of a rebellion at this point so it's not that big of a stretch of belief that like they just didn't know how to do it uh or they just didn't do it because they didn't know like either or, uh, but whatever the reason for the non-use of the food, imperial troops kept getting closer and digging in, and I mean that very, very literally. They built a ten-mile-long moat from the river that stretched all the way around the southern tip of the capital and around to the east. When the last rebel held towns outside the capital, Xu Zhao quickly falls, and the government promises everybody inside a full pardon if they surrender. So, of course, the, the gates are thrown open, and you, you want to guess what happens next? I, I'm going to guess that the government goes back on their word here and executes all of them horribly. Yeah, they massacred the entire city. Y- yeah, I was, I was sort of figuring that. Yeah. Like, it tends to be kind of a trend here. Like they didn't have Yelp in the 19th century to like review how the imperial army treated you <laughs> when you surrendered, so like nobody knew. But yeah, we with the the benefit of hindsight and historical record and analysis are able to know that like they're probably not going to keep that promise. And unfortunately, this is where a reverse counter genocide becomes very apparent, which is uh, a a sentence I have never written, despite this being my field of study. Um. Like we talked about, as the rebels advanced, they killed pretty much every Manchu they found because in their belief system and through their propaganda, they were told that they were literal demons. And also, as people, the rebels are racist as fuck. In response to this horrible carnage, and because they already really fucking hated the Hakka people, which, remember, is, is, the, is the group that most rebels belong to. There's also other minorities uh, that are also part of the rebellion the government hated all of them and the government was now very 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 quickly returning the favor so whenever they retook an area from the rebels they'd question the local populace and if they spoke with an obvious dialect or accent which all these minorities had they would be killed most of like very few people within the rebellion were given a pass um yeah yeah Oh. This is sounding, yeah, this is like, like, yeah, we started with, you know, two miles of boat drive-bys, and now we're, it's, it's getting to be like a regular lines by, led by donkeys episode. That is the podcast guarantee. Um, yeah, who would have thought that a podcast hosted by a man who went to school for years to study genocides constantly finds genocides? <sighs> yeah. Now... By December, the Imperial forces were at the walls of the capital, though the rebels, starving, diseased, and not having, uh, not having been allowed to bust a nut in years, were able to hold them off. Though the damage was already really already done, the government forces had tunneled under the city walls, blowing massive sections of them to nothing. The rebels did their best to try to repair the damage, but there was only so much they could do. 
And, you know, every time this happened, they would repair a little bit, but then the imperial government would come back with more men. You know, it, it was a massive mismatch in every way, and especially when it came to weaponry, uh, which at this point was completely insurmountable. Because remember, there was a point where the rebels were better armed. That is no longer yeah. the case. Yeah, because I, I just I seem to recall this early on that one of the advantages that they were facing or that they, they enjoyed was the fact that like their opposition was so disorganized and once they got armed, it wasn't a fair fight. The the opposition was so disorganized and then at a certain point they became better armed and so it really was like just, you know, running roughshod all over them. But enough time has elapsed that that's no longer the case. If They've for, become the outnumbered, outgunned, and incredibly incompetent ones. Yeah, by far. I mean, they were always incompetent, in my opinion. They were just less incompetent. Um, and, you know, they also had the zeal of belief behind them, which, you know, powers people to do insane things. Um, and, like, for example, at this point, most of the rebels uh, trapped in the heavenly capital, at best, had a musket. But they had been mostly reduced to swords, spears, and other melee weapons because uh, they had run out of gunpowder and any route of resupply. And I assume they've killed every dog in sight to get their blood by this point. Simply no dogs available. Yeah. No, no dogs allowed anymore. Yeah. And the, the, there were sections of the Imperial Army, which was still very, very factional and warlord adjacent, that were using bolt-action rifles. Um, they, the Chinese were now producing their own home-built bolt-action rifles on top of things given to them by Europeans, specifically advanced artillery, which they had been trained how to use by the French and the British, uh, as well as better training and organizational skills, as well as advisors. And at this point, the, the quote-unquote advisor role is used quite you know, gratuitously. In a lot of cases, British and French officers were just leading sections of the Imperial Army. So, and, and specifically commanding artillery batteries, which is something Europeans are very, very good at in the late 1800s. Yeah. yeah, no kidding. But also, like, I think that puts into relief something else, which is that, you know, if this were the early days of, I mean, in China, the early days of gunpowder weapons would have been like, I think before the Renaissance, certainly during the Renaissance. I believe, in, all, in I, I believe around uh, like 12... 1300s yeah, yeah, they started yeah, 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 fielding yeah. like cannons and rockets and stuff and so but at this point when you're dealing with you know um with cartridges and bolt action rifles the things that can be loaded with um you know sort of early versions of feeder tubes and magazines and things like that the idea of facing off against that with swords knives halberds pikes spears etc it's just i mean you're gonna you're gonna kill a couple of your enemy just because like at a certain point they're gonna be overwhelmed or they, they run out of bullets they can't reload fast enough but like the ratio there is going to be pretty dismal. Yeah, the, K- the KD ratio is all fucked up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like, like that's the thing, right? Is that like there's some extremely funny jokes to make here, but then just from a practical perspective, from just sort of assessing this, like you realize how much the tide has turned, and that they are they are really like set up for extreme failure here. Oh God, yeah. And I mean, there were people within the rebellion that saw how hopeless the situation was. One of them was General Lee. He did seem to be the last general alive within the rebellion with any brain cells bouncing around in his head. And I don't mean to say that he wasn't a believer in Hong. He absolutely was, but he also wasn't stupid. He told them that there's no way they could defend the capital. Uh, and I'm willing to bet that he left out the part that they absolutely could have if they just fucking listened to him a couple months before. But And I also should point out here, according to every source on this, Lee still sees Hong as the son of God. So you can imagine that 
he really didn't want to tell him, like, uh, Mr. God, we're fucked. Um, and eventually yeah. Lee does tell him, we have virtually no soldiers left. Most of our city is starving and dying civilians who are eating one another. Um, and, you know, he, he even points out that they have more court and civil officials than soldiers. And those people are eating all the goddamn food that we have left. So he tells them, like, look, God, Jesus, whatever you are. We need to abandon the city, break out, and like link up with other armies that are still in the field. Because they did have other armies in the field, mostly in the south. But the armies in the south lack the ability to come in and relieve the capital, which is something else that Lee points out. At one point, yeah. Hong Rangan, the shield king, attempts to do this, breaking out uh, towards the city from the south. But he finds out he just can't because his soldiers are too weak from starvation or dying from, I don't know, whatever horrible intestinal diseases rip through the ranks of whenever you and a hundred thousand of your closest buddies go camping in the 1800s. Uh, this is so kind of the moment where, where correction, this is kind of a moment where Hong is in a room with his trusted advisors and gets told that Angersteiner is next to fault. Like, <laughs> yeah. And then a bunch of yelling happens. Someone, someone is going to make a re-edit of downfall with Hong Shikwa now. And I can't fucking wait. <laughs> That's fine, but then yeah, it's gonna, <laughs> gonna get it's gonna get interesting. Yeah, uh, and you know, also there is so much cholera happening right now. I know that people probably assume that, but everybody has fucking cholera, lice, and like various forms of the pox. Um, and Lee, despite his very very practical corrections of the of the ongoing situation, is answered by an absolutely deranged rant from Hong, which is so goddamn funny, I'm gonna read it in whole. Uh because Hong is very long-winded, so I've made sure not to like quote from him directly. I mean he's as long-winded as much as you think anybody who believes themselves to be the son of God to be. Um so I guess he isn't unique in that. I'm just imagining Bruno Gans delivering this, so please I'm I'm excited here. <laughs> So, quote, I've received the sacrament and the command of God, the sacred command of the heavenly brother Jesus to come down into the world to become the only true sovereign of the myriad countries under the heavens. Why should I fear anything? There is no need for you to petition and no need for you to take charge of the administration. You can do as you like. Remain in the capital or go away. If you do not serve my invincible kingdom, there are those who will. You say that there are no troops, but my heavenly soldiers are as limitless as water. Why should I fear the demons? You are afraid of death, so you may as well go and die. <laughs> I mean, that's almost I mean, like, like, like thematically, that is the same speech. Yeah, yeah. And Hong then takes immediate direct command over the defense of the capital and declare that anyone who disobeyed him would be disobeying God and therefore be immediately executed. He then proudly proclaims that worry not. God will defend the heavenly kingdom. Spoiler alert. God does not, in fact, defend the heavenly kingdom. Sigh. Yeah. Uh, Sucks when this happens. Now, this also happened to coincide with Imperial forces fully locking the capital down. They had built a double line deep of defensive earthworks all around it. And Nanking is not a small city. So just imagine how big these defensive works are. They had stationed long-range artillery on every high ground surrounding it. Nobody could leave the capital now. They were completely and totally trapped. Any hope of breakout is gone. However, that leads to one hell of a problem. Leaving the capital was the only way rebels, soldiers, civilians alike, were getting food. So, desperate 
and surrounded, rebels began rappelling off the top of the city's defenses at night to sneak around and forage for weeds and grass so they'd have something, anything to eat. Again, dudes rock. Like, it's bad, yeah, completely badass. Although I got to be honest with you at this point, like no matter how much I might have professed my belief in the no-nut kingdom of heaven and <laughs> Jesus's little brother, I think that if I were, you know, ranger qualified in the 19th century and rappelling down a mountain or re- correction, rappelling down the castle walls, city walls, earthworks, what have you, I would probably just get the fuck out. I'd probably just bounce. I'd yeah. Be like, I heard, yeah. Like, Hey, I heard there's a really, I'm going to go scout us some more food about 20 miles from here. Yeah. I heard there's just, a single grain of race, like 10 miles away. Why don't we go there? Yeah. <laughs> Fucking zonk. Just get out of here. Now, the truly funny part, darkly funny, is the government knew that they were doing this. They watched them rappelling off of the city walls, probably wondering, well, that's fucking sick. I want to do that. That looks fun. But they also thought that killing them would be a waste of ammo because it was obvious that they were just going to die from something anyway. So they might as well just let them go. I mean, it is very funny to imagine that you're like, a, you know, Juba the bad dad sniper of the <laughs> siege of Nanking on like, you know, 19th century Chinese huge cannon array, some kind of like direct fire artillery piece. Like you can absolutely William tell anyone with this thing. And then you're watching these guys foraging and they're like, oh, this is badass. And they'll never see us. And like you could absolutely see them. And you're just like, oh, those guys look pretty malnourished. I, I don't I don't really think I, I don't want to reload this bitch. I really don't want to have to like clean out the fucking powder residue in this cannon barrel. Like nah. just just guys who are like little more than skeletons with skin stretched around them with like they haven't came in like 10 fucking years at this point with long ponytails <laughs> like you know what? maybe we shouldn't fire at them <laughs> but at the same time like then I realized that kind of like spoils the mental image that I've created because yeah in this state of just absolute decay and wasting you know like the degree to which these people are malnourished and desperate they're probably not be like this is so fucking badass but in my mind, it's funny to envision them as sort of like Captain Planet henchmen. You know what I mean? Like like the Captain Planet henchmen that are like totally building a pipeline to dump sewage into the river, which is just British government policy. Like Captain Planet never had to go to Britain because he knew it was a lost cause. Uh, like that Captain Planet me, also never had to repel off the city's walls to eat some weeds. Well, yeah, because he could fly. I mean, obviously that, that changes things. You know, it's just That's yeah. cheating. Exactly. It's it's it, it's basically fucking IDDQD god mode. Like you don't want to be if you can fly then all of the work that the Imperial Army has done is <laughs> besiege your city. Hong looking around and be like, fuck y'all, I'm out, hits the Konami He's, code and flies away. Flies away, exactly. It's like he absolutely has no respect for the sport if he does that. And so like, yeah, I just I don't know, it's just it's 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 difficult to reconcile because like you want you, you kind of envision them as just like because it sounds cool, it being cool, but actually, no, it was it was just more like a person realizing that a sort of basic repelling method means they might be able to eat a dandelion tonight or starve <laughs> yeah. to death. And so they just do. Like, there's probably not a lot of, like, you know, bitchin' guitar riffs playing in the background when they're doing this. Yeah, nobody's playing Sweet Child of Mine as you, like, <laughs> return to your family. Like, family, oh. I've gathered us a banquet. It's like a dandelion, some, like, fish tank rocks, and a palm of dirt. Like, yeah, it's a thistle. But, but, Joe, surely it would be Freebird. That's true. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, now, within the city walls, everything was collapsing. And for a lack of a better term, people turned fucking feral on one another. 
armed gangs of soldiers posted up by the gates, not to secure them, but to rob and murder anybody who was attempting to flee. Because at this point, you know, on top of people doing sick repel tricks to get some grass to eat, they were also like fleeing the city doing the same thing. Um, and soldiers knew this, so they would like act like they're on guard duty and then catch people as they ran, not as like punishment, but because they wanted to steal whatever it was that they had. Uh, like one imperial commander announced that he would spare any woman and child that made its made their way out of the city and to the camps, and there was also you know cannibalism uh, everywhere. Uh, like it wasn't un- uncommon for like these groups of soldiers to stalk around looking for people to eat. Um, and you know the imperial commander that said that hey if you make it out this way we'll we'll take care of you. Everybody was forced into slavery. Um, Horrible things happened to the women, as you can imagine. The children were put into slavery, forcefully adopted out. Um, so yeah, yeah, everybody here sucks. You got you got a roving gang of like cannibals on one side and a literal slave market on the other. Yeah, that that yeah. I mean, in a way, it's just so depressing that you don't even want to joke about it. But like at a certain point, it becomes like the first time you're like, oh, that's awful the second time you're like yeah wow they did the same thing the third time you're like yep they did the same thing and then like the hundred millionth time yep they did the same thing like it definitely seems as though uh they are big fans of the old bait and switch and yeah it's just uh, once again it's it's just you you, you can run out of the city and like make it to the imperial camp and they pull the old switcheroo on you yeah 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 in a way it's like it it feels somewhat disrespectful to refer to it as the switcheroo when it's like <laughs> you're enough. getting fucking put in slavery, and yet that is what it is. It's uh you know uh yeah it's bad. Um and like like I said, civilians are not the only people attempting to run away from the city. It's not as many as two hundred thousand rebel soldiers also snuck off to surrender, turning themselves into imperial camps, and most of them are executed within hours. Uh, some made it days, others are put into slavery. Um, there, this was absolutely a no quarters situation, it, despite the fact the imperial government kept telling them there was in fact quarters. Now, the war above ground had ground into a stalemate, so of course they went underground. Tunnels and counter tunnels uh, began to be dug rapidly from both sides towards one another. In some cases, the tunnels would run into one another, leading to underground gunfights and sword duels, which, again, in a vacuum, that shit rules. Yes. Um, What if mole people could use a saber, you know? Um, While others would punch holes through the enemy tunnel and flood them with sewage or or like fling unstable bombs at them that were just as likely to blow themselves up as kill the enemy. So in response, the government built a tunnel uh, and then made a giant fire and pumped toxic smoke into the rebel tunnels with bellows. Uh, so, you know, ye old chemical warfare. Yeah. yeah. Also, like flooding the tunnels with sewage, it is a bit striking the degree to which like this is, you know, the kind of like flinging dog shit at each other version of biological warfare. Yeah. Like this does this does. It seems to come up a lot. There is just a lot more excrement-related content in this series than I was expecting. That is, that is something I always promise. <laughs> there's always it's it, it, there's always more liquid shit involved in in military history than people give credit. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, look, anyone who's actually been in the military knows that like every no matter how badass the warrior involved is, he absolutely he, she, they, anyone, they all have a story of shitting themselves. Oh, 100%. It just happens. Every everyone has done it. It just happens to you. Now, by 1864, these tunnels had become an industry. They're huge. Dozens of them are constructed up to seven feet tall and dozens of different branches going off in every direction. Sometimes so many of these tunnels are built, they simply, they simply collapse onto one another, killing hundreds or even thousands of people at a time. We don't know how many people died in the tunnels because the job came with a pre-built grave uh, and nobody thought about digging them back up. Yeah. And by the spring of 1864, and uh, General Lee, who is still somehow alive and in the city, begins to ask an important question. Mr. Hong, God, Jesus, what the fuck are we going to eat? We are literally out of food. When asked this, Hong cites Exodus 16, where God preserves the children of Israel for 40 years in the desert by scattering manna on the ground with the morning dew each and every morning for them to eat. So, Hong orders the rebels to stockpile manna. Small problem here, though. I'm not much of a Bible scholar, um, but nobody knows what the fuck manna is, and I'm sure it never actually existed. The Bible only says it tastes like honey, is white, and smells like coriander. So, Hong translated this in his own Bible to mean two different specific kind of Chinese herbs, which were kind of thought to be medicinal. However, there was nothing like those in the city. Shocker. I know. I'm sure they'd already been ripped up and eaten at this point by somebody. But due to Hong's previous order, not making with the manna means they will be executed for not listening to him and therefore God. So they just begin ripping up any remaining weeds and grass they could possibly find. And be like, look, sir, we found manna. Manna from heaven. There it is. Yeah. So when questioned by Lee about food, he simply tells everybody, Let's eat manna. Hong then orders people to bring the manna to him because he'll be the first one to eat it, despite the fact they don't have any. And so the scene is, you know, in the middle of all this, which is horribly grim, it plays out like something of a sketch comedy because people soon are just piling up random bits of weed and grass in front of a man they believe to be the son of God who has declared this shit will keep everybody alive through the miracles of heaven. And then Hong begins chowing down on them like he's at the world's worst buffet. You want to guess how this ends? I mean, typically when dogs eat a bunch of grass, they throw up. So <laughs> yeah, when, is that what happens? Hong Shiquan only eats grass when he's very distressed. Yeah, exactly. When his, when his tummy hurts, it's just, just a thing he does. Like It's like an evolutionary tick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, does that what happens? Does he, does he puke? Does he get sick? Or like, is the grass not enough like to feed everyone? Or does everyone get sick? Like, Does it become diarrhea fest? Like, <laughs> any, we could go anywhere here. Hong gets sick as hell from eating the random shit that grows around his palace. He quickly refuses any kind of medical help, declaring that God will heal him, and then he dies. No. (laughs) You are fucking with me. He dies from eating grass? Yeah, he dies by by grazing around his palace like he's a fucked up cow. Oh, my God. All right. Okay. You know, like, in a way, with the twists and turns this series has taken, it's fitting, but, like... I'm really glad you did like spoiler alert kept the secret from me because no nah, man. <laughs> now there some people say he was poisoned, uh, but we don't have any evidence of that. We just know from the people who survived, he ate a whole bunch of random weeds and fucking killed over and died. Yeah, and then you're gonna you're gonna get DM and was like, hey, do you know you can make Roundup from horse blood and dog <laughs> shit? <laughs> 
Yeah, it, it's it's like the episode of Breaking Bad where they uh, Breaking Bad where they keep making ricin over and over again. Um, now nobody is exactly sure the day he died, but a notice in Hong's name was published in May of 1864, saying he had pulled a poochie and his time had come to return to heaven. Uh, there was no big ceremony or anything when he dies. He's simply wrapped in a cloth, a yellow cloth, and buried in a shallow grave in the courtyard of his palace. Five days later, his 14-year-old son, Chang Yufu, takes the throne of the rebellion. Again, he's 14. He's pretty much yep. powerless, and the real power falls on the last semi-competent man around, General Lee, who wrote, quote, The young sovereign came to the throne. There was no grain. There was chaos in the armies. The young sovereign had no ability to make decisions. No one, civil or military, could think of a solution. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. Yeah, cool. So, we are now... Uh, Jesus' little brother has gone back to his home planet. We have a middle schooler in charge. We're starving. Uh, we definitely know that eating grass is out. It's not going to work. <laughs> and uh, the best you can hope for is to repel off the walls in order to find some other weeds and you know small shrubs and things along those lines that can be eaten without making you have to go to the veterinarian and pass away. <laughs> Uh, the, the heavenly veterinarian just checking Hong's teeth like oh he's such a good boy <laughs> man you just sent him to fucking heavenly behavioral school right? like <laughs> doggy yeah. training camp he, he's only biting people because he's nervous <laughs> yeah so I mean but if I understand it correctly just from a cursory glance the, the, the Taiping Rebellion does go on a little longer than this oh, it's not yeah. about to end Oh, yeah, it goes on. Uh, in July, the imperial government blows up their main tunnels and the eastern section of the city walls, leveling it, and soldiers quickly pour in through the breach. This time, the rebels don't hold. They shatter, and they attempt to retreat in the midst of a level of carnage that had only been seen since the last time the rebels took a city. The young king, which is what uh, Fu is called, and General Lee, say, fuck this and book it, running away from the unfolding massacre as fast as they could. The king even leaves his wives and brothers behind to die. There's just total chaos, and the king cannot get out, being turned back at his own gates. He and his bodyguards, along with General Lee, throw on government uniforms and escape in the middle of the night as imperial forces became too busy raping and murdering every living thing that existed within the heavenly capital when it fell. They run so fast out of the city that Lee's horse collapses and dies, and the king and his bodyguards simply leave him behind. If that isn't insulting enough, as soon as he hits the ground, a bunch of local villagers run up and beat the shit out of him and rob him before turning him over to the government, who then promptly murder Lee. Ah. Yeah, he falls quite quickly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, imagine, like, ten minutes ago, you were the most powerful person in the heavenly capital, and then some villagers are coming up and running you for your fucking shoes. Yeah, I mean... In a way, it's fitting, but also, this is a little more... Um, dramatic, drastic, immediate than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. And the, the, as, as the young king is running away with his bodyguards, the slaughter in the capital continues. And remember, this, the heavenly capital is Nanking, so this is like only the second worst thing that's ever happened in the city's history. The numbers are quite iffy at this point, but the slaughter is even worse than what the rebels had done when they'd taken the city and the surrounding countryside, not to mention the rest of China, as the government went on a full-on revenge mission, specifically targeting the Hakka and other minorities. During the peak of the murder spree, it's thought that throughout the area reconquered by the Chinese government, 30,000 Hakka are murdered per day. 
Christ. Yeah, within Nanking itself, nobody is sure how many people die, but it's hundreds of thousands. What remains of the Heavenly ca- Kingdom falls rapidly after the death of the Heavenly Capital. Hong Rangan, holding this th- his last city, is the next to be defeated and captured, and with him is the young king, uh, though he manages to run away once again. Though his city is mostly dead by the time the government shows up due to an absolutely uncontrolled cholera epidemic within its walls. And then uh, Rangon is executed in November. The young king continues to run, though now he's alone with no survival or life skills to speak of through the countryside. He quickly cuts off his long hair, which was, as we point out, a telltale sign of a follower of Taiping, and then promptly gets robbed of his clothes by one man and forced into slavery by another. Um, is that the end? I mean, is he just winds up a slave and that's all we know? Or does he get out? Like, wow. He does eventually get out. And I do have to say, I, I, I respect the random Chinese villagers to see a guy who had the power to murder them on the spot two days ago being like, fuck that asshole. Let's steal his wallet. Like, yeah, exactly. nothing it's but like, respect. Hey, do, you know, do you know how to use a shovel and a hoe and a rake? Well, you're about to fucking learn. <laughs> yeah. Now, he is eventually found out, uh, like government spies come around and like tell the guy who owns him as a slave like that's Hong Shiquan's son and like oh well you guys can have him uh, he's captured by the government in November he puts all of the blame rightfully so on his father saying he had absolutely nothing to do with it I am 14 years old uh, that didn't matter though he's executed a few days later a week before his 15th birthday now with this the celestial family and the heavenly kingdom were functionally dead Though the rebellion does not end there. It evolves and spills over into the surrounding countries. The last Taiping armies fought under the banner of Hong inside of China until the 1870s. Though outside of China is where shit gets weird. And I should also point out that most of these Taiping armies within China effectively turn into bandits. Uh, they knew they couldn't like do anything else at that point. Now... For starters, the rebellion had spread into Vietnam via a Taiping commander named Wu Ling Yun, who declared himself the, I'm not going to make a joke, the King of Dingaling, an area that encompassed most of the Sino-Vietnam border. Like everyone else, this king brought with it pestilence, disease, and famine before his kingdom was destroyed years after the heavenly capital in 1869. However, he's still not the last guy. Most of the Taiping army that managed to avoid a large-scale defeat marched on for some time as true believers in the messaging of Hong, at least for a little while. Their generals rapidly devolved into rival warlords, and then little more than bandits and gangs as roving bands of soldiers pillaged their way across the countryside, knowing that surrendering to the government meant certain fucking death, so they had no other options. One of these was the awesomely named Black Flag Army, commanded by Wu Kun. The Black Flag Army crossed from China into Vietnam and set up an extortion racket along the way before doing a quick face turn and helping Vietnam fight the invading French military as they pushed into the Tonkin region in the late 1800s. Despite being a remnant of the Taiping Rebellion, they also threw their lot in with the Chinese government, fighting against the French again during the Sino-French War, after which time the army eventually disbanded, though it would pop up a few times after that when the need arose. Other remnants of the Taiping broke down into so-called flag gangs and moved as far away as Thailand and Laos, fighting the force of the Thai king Ramna V 
to the complete and utter confusion of every single Thai person they came across. They had no fucking idea who these guys were or where they came from and why they're destroying all their Buddhist temples. It's like, who the fuck are you guys? And why are you setting all the temples on fire? They could kind of figure out who the uh, the ones in Vietnam were, though, because they were constantly singing this like refrain that they had just you know adopted as their national anthem that went like, "We're gonna have a TV party tonight." <laughs> it's a black flag joke for the real heads out there who uh, are way older than me, probably. Now these gangs in Thailand and Laos survived until beyond 1890, and eventually they just assimilated into the countryside or were murdered by like the local military it's kind of absurd they just like carried on slowly i mean they like devolved into just outright banditry with a weird veneer of taiping christianity tacked on to the absolute confusion of the thai government these so basically like in terms of actual adherence to the principles and this idea of being a fraction of like a larger whole, they lasted longer than the Confederate remnants who fled to Brazil. Yeah. And like, yeah. Kind of try to do the Confederacy in absentia before they just, you know, then realize that the, what they actually wanted was, you know, plantation, slave state, money, life of luxury, and being completely useless at life. And so they were like, oh, we don't, we don't have to worry about retaking the South. We'll just live disgustingly here though unlike brazil i don't think there's any like thai cities that dress up like thai ping rebels and have a party every year we i know we're nearing the end of the episode but there's i'll see if i can find it and share it on our discord there's an article from years and years ago where a journalist went down and interviewed like the still a living grandchildren of confederates who had fled to brazil and they spoke english as their first language but like Obviously, all their family spoke Portuguese, and these people even, you know, grew up bilingual. But the way they spoke English was like a preserved dialect of like deep South dialect from the mid nineteenth century. God, that's so and cursed. The, and the guy, the guy was just like, like it's the syrupiest voice you have ever heard in your life. <laughs> now, uh, now for the true cost of this war, it's something we'll never really know, despite it being somewhat, you know, quite recent. Although keeping accurate records was something Imperial China. Tra- traditionally did very, very well. The decentralized nature of the imperial war effort and the fact that it was a civil war and therefore very chaotic, and not even again, like I've pointed out before, this is not the only civil war happening in China at the time, uh, meant that reliable figures are impossible to find. The destruction of the Taiping Heavenly Kingdom and the Heavenly Capital also meant that the majority of records within it were also destroyed, with Chinese historians thinking that at best, only 10% of the re- uh, records that the rebels kept actually survived. So we don't really know a whole lot about that. So losses amongst the imperial government are completely unknown and could only be guessed. Most of the soldiers I've been talking about weren't soldiers at all, but regional militiamen levied as regional forces campaigning nearby in order to fill their losses. In a lot of cases, these militias didn't even have roles or rosters for their men. So when someone died, no one even took note of it. As for the Taipings, though, it's thought that 90% of their forces died, which is conservatively in the millions over the course of the decade plus the war would go on. Though the real course of this war, like all wars, is the horrific devastation that it brought on the civilian population of China. In the region where the war took place, that cost was almost complete. Economic and agricultural destruction was virtually apocalyptic. 
And when those two things became rampant, uncontrolled spread of disease that always comes with the deprivations of war claimed even more people. Again, the true numbers are unknown, but conservative estimates put the death toll at 30 million, with some saying that it could even be up to 50 million, and some even say 100 million. This makes it, even in the mid-range numbers, the most deadly civil war in human history, with the high end making it even more deadly than World War II, causing more human misery. Though, we will never be fully sure, and it's kind of a black hole of information due to the thorough nature of destruction at the fall of the heavenly capital. But even in the 50 million dead range, the only war that's thought of to be more deadly than it is World War II, for fuck's sake. Which is nuts, because when you think about it, the degree to which World War II's casualty estimates are obviously still loose figures, even though there is more accurate record keeping just because of the scale of it. So that's not to say that this is guaranteed that the high end is correct, but if it were, then this implies that like, well, it, it's, it's, it's fundamentally unknowable how much devastation it caused. And that's, that's it's, it's, I mean, it kind of obviously like there's so much darkness in this series that you know it, it it's not as if it's anything novel to say oh we're you know this is ending on a somber note because you realize just how horrific it was but that is really eye opening to think about that that like this is a one of many rebellions one of many you know mass atrocities in relatively recent years I mean my my grandfather died in 2020 he was born in 1921 he would have been uh when he was alive, when he was young, there would have been people, plenty of people still alive who had suffered, especially the later phases of this, who would have suffered this, who would have, you know, experienced this. It's not that long ago. And it's, it's yeah, it's, it's really, it's really, really eye-opening and, and you know, frankly, jaw-dropping when you think about it, just, just the extent to which this upended so many people's lives. And that like, it's not that like people are unwilling to acknowledge it. It's that it's almost impossible to acknowledge it on the scale it would deserve. It, it's kind of baffling. Like, um, you know, uh, we did a series on Kursk a while back, and the scope of the human misery involved was kind of breathtaking. And it was nothing like this. I don't, I mean, I'm, there, there can't be a topic we ever cover that can even come close. Um, but it, it's, it's one of those things that oftentimes you see it get brought up online from time to time, specifically about Hong and where he came from, like failing his civil service exam and, you know, believing he's the, 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 the son of God and Jesus Christ's little brother, which of course we had fun with that here on the show as well. But I think when you, when you focus on that too much, you kind of forget the, just the sheer amount of human misery that was brought on by both Hong and the Chinese imperial government and uh, just the, the massive amount of deprivations that civilians went through. The untold amount of death and destruction is always kind of left by the wayside for the ha-ha quality of, of laughing at how insane Hong was. And like I tried not to do that during the last four weeks of podcast, um, but it, it, oftentimes it's you know the, the 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 human cost of of war gets lost on people because they they're just so desperately looking for levity. And I mean that's what we do here is we 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 try to make things fun and entertaining. But at the end of the day, like the this kind of catastrophic, damn near apocalyptic event is, is sadly not remembered. Um, or known about outside of, I assume, China. Uh, the Western world really doesn't know about it. Uh, I mean, an American historical understanding is kind of trapped in the same era of the U.S. Civil War was going on. And, you know, we often think about how awful the American Civil War was because it was fucking 
terrible. Uh, but you know, going on at the same time on the other side of the world was something that would make the U.S. Civil War look like you know one battle from this. Yeah, yeah, one campaign at best. I mean, yeah. that's that's always a, an eye-opening thing. I can't remember the exact figure, but people are often surprised that the U.S. Civil War was the deadliest American war in history. But then, when you kind of do the, the simple arithmetic that both sides were Americans, it makes sense because you know, Americans lost hundreds of thousands of soldiers in World War One and World War Two, but uh, nowhere near as many. I believe that's a uh, more, you know, you could combine World War One and World War Two, and it would either be just about the Civil War's total casualty rate or uh, a bit less, actually. But I believe, and like I said, I mean, this is rough math. I believe it's still under a million casualties, still certainly under a million dead. And yeah, like you said, that's just, just that's, that's, you know, I think a million people died at the Siege of Leningrad. So, you know, it's, it, you realize how, how much broader the scope was and how much more horrific this these events were and specifically this one so i mean like yeah i'm not backtracking i mean we had jokes because we do jokes on this podcast and we you know we like to find the absurd things and point them out but yeah like there's a degree to to which this ends you think like yeah that's most of the people caught up in this had no choice they didn't they didn't volunteer to be involved they just it was either get killed or live under this and so like most people are going to opt to live under it and then they wind up suffering and in many cases suffering far worse than the perpetrators did because of the fact that they just happened to be unlucky where they were in their life, you know, where, where they were born, where they grew up, where they lived. Yep. And yeah, it sucks. It's really bad. So I guess thanks for joining me for the last four weeks on this awful thing, Nate. Um, I guess for the sake of some levity, we do have this thing called questions from the Legion, which it's been, you know, we, we don't do those during se- uh, series. We put them at the end of the series. And if you'd like to ask us a question, Legion, donate to the show and ask us through Patreon or on the Discord. And this one's kind of interesting. Um, It says, uh, you've both been doing podcasts for years. This is how you make your living, Um, which is true. I've been doing this for like almost five years. It'll be five years in June, I think, um, which is kind of crazy to think about. And you've been doing it longer than I have. And even more different shows. Started in uh, towards like the back half of 2015. Yeah. So yeah, I've been doing this for yeah almost eight years now. Um, and they ask, what are some of the weirder complaints that uh, you get as a podcast creator? <laughs> I think for me, the weirder complaints are oftentimes people just kind of want to uh, have a reason to contact you. And so you'll find that someone takes issue with something small that maybe it's an oversight, maybe it's a technical thing, maybe it's just literally like a decision you made. But rather than saying this this bothers me, it winds up being framed as like you're a bad person for doing this. And sometimes it's completely accidental. Sometimes it's literally like we couldn't help it. It's like a problem with the hosting platform. But I've had some complaints before um, where it felt as though people wanted to really kind of exaggerate the importance of a thing. And like, obviously, if it's like an oversight where you've said something, you know, monstrous by mistake, by omission, you want to fix it and you want it to be treated with the seriousness it deserves. But sometimes it's just like, look, man, I realize that a sensor beep getting dropped in randomly can be distressing to you if you don't like random noises. But like, the only way to make the show make sense without either publishing something that's libelous or legally legally actionable or making a cut where it makes no sense at all 
besides those choices, my only real realistic choice is to do something that kind of like normally will just let people know what's happened without having to have it explained. And quite frankly, if interruptions bother someone, then like me cutting in and doing like, hi, it's Nate, the producer. I had to cut this out because we libeled someone and then and someone else said they wanted to kill someone and we can't put that out on our show. You know what I mean? Like, right. So things right. like that. Um, in terms of like the specific weirdest complaint, um, to be honest with you, they are so specific often that I feel as though if I did that, that it would be the person who had done it might know and it would feel as though I, I'm kind of putting them on blast to our audience, so I'll leave it alone. But um, I, 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 get, I get weird ones. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, so I'm interested for you. What, what's, what's the strangest one you've gotten? I, I know that we had a guy who um, was mad about a thing you'd said on an episode and so basically paid to subscribe to the Discord and Patreon and therefore Discord of every single show that I produce or that any of my co-hosts on other shows produce in order to raise a complaint and demand an answer on those Discords and then was promptly banned. And then subsequently moved on to raising those complaints on the Twitch stream for TF that I'm not even on and was subsequently banned. And so in the long run, probably was out of pocket like 40 or $50 to raise these complaints about a thing that like was just a difference of opinion with something you'd said in passing. Yeah. I mean, as someone who runs a history show, like I am going to get the normal complaints, specifically a military history show, which like I understand that most shows about military history attract the worst kind of people which is specifically why you know we started this show is because like i am a huge obviously like i went to school for history i am deeply interested in military history and it really bothered me that like whenever you go into any like you go into far enough into military history content on the internet you're gonna find some weird guy that's really a big fan of rhodesia or something so like uh, getting complaints from those idiots doesn't like that, that that comes with the territory and I don't consider those complaints. I just think those are just angry old white South Africans who can't move on. Um, but you know, over the years, uh, some people like, you know, we did, I think our first big series that we, we really got under, like we found, we found our, our, our thing, you know, we, we got our groove was the Iran Iraq war series. Um, and I got like someone once accused me of being a big fan of the Ayatollah for some reason. Um, <laughs> because I, I believe what I said was that like, you know, you couldn't blame people for being pissed off at the Shah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's weird. Cause that could go either way. They could say, call you a fan of the Ayatollah for not supporting Reza Pahlavi, or they could call you a fan of the Ayatollah because you, you were like, uh, the Iraqis were bad or something like that, like in what they did. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, yeah either way, it seems as though you're, you're, I remember a, a tactic of like idiot college Republicans when I was in school was to interrupt any speaker talking about any expert, anyone talking about uh, the ongoing US occupation of Iraq, which I started college in 2003. So it was very, very new by asking them who would have made a better successor, Uday or Kusay. And it's just like, man, shut the fuck up. <laughs> who, who gives a fuck? Like, Right, Roger. Saddam. We know Saddam was bad. Great, like you know that kind of thing. So yeah, it's like, I mean, yeah, you know, it, wait, wait, waste, waste my time some more. Why don't you? That that comes with the territory, I think. Especially when it cut, you know, the the way that we run the show, we try to make light of things where we can, and of course, we do have series where we don't make light of anything because it's not respectful. Um, and you know, we get we get the weird complaints that you would expect. Um, when it comes to stuff like that, 
Uh, or of, uh, uh, my 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 personal favorite was someone claiming I was disrespectful for mispronouncing uh, mispronouncing things uh, or vaguely racist or something. Um, and it's uh, they're like uh, someone once said that I I could make the effort to pronounce Armenian things correctly. So why can't I pronounce this other thing correctly? And my counter is you understand so little about the Armenian language that you don't know I'm mispronouncing it because I am. My friends make fun of me all the time. I mean, I make fun of you for saying. I make fun of you constantly in our producer chat for saying "escape." So, like, it's yeah, yeah like, of course. It's just you're from Michigan. It's how people from Michigan talk. But yeah, I mean, like, I none none of that is done out of disrespect. Like, and and we do make an effort to to make sure that we're doing it correctly. But I mean, at a certain point, like, we're we're not going to sound 100 percent authentic, even if we we do our damnedest. My my previous anecdote about trying to pronounce a very basic thing in Cantonese and then realizing that I will just never speak Cantonese. You know, like right. Sometimes you butt up against a challenge here, and so we and do it, our best. And, and it's not going to make me back down from covering something. It'll just require a little bit extra work to try to get the, the pronunciations in the right ballpark. And do you think it would have been better if I had punched in a recording of myself saying Agincourt like 350 times when you did your episode on the Battle of Agincourt? Like, uh, no. Yes, w- the episode that will never die. Uh, Agincourt. That's okay. I, used, I, 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 I believe because- I said Agincourt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, it, it, right, right. Agincourt. Like, look, let's let's be honest here. Like, it's is it's a challenge. We speak English, and so unless stuff is you know in the English language and originally written in the English language, like, chances are very good we're gonna we're gonna fuck something up. Like, and I think I think we we try to go about it. You have always, I mean, in the years I've been editing, and then since I've been on the show, we we and you have always gone about you know trying to do it in such a way that even if you're wrong, it's not like you're not being like defiantly wrong and convinced that you're right. Yeah, of course. And I think like that's 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 an approach that I I certainly would take in my own work and life versus like, you know, the the sort of like British public school blustering your way wrongly through things but being super confident in it. Um and so hopefully most people will forgive us, forgive you, forgive me for uh mistakes we make and things along those lines. Um mixing up famous historical figures in the one conflict where you really don't want to mix up anything because then you will be called a charlatan and an idiot forever. Um Whoops. shout out to the to the fan who listened to the recent bonus episode and corrected my I knew what I was talking about, but I absolutely just swapped out the wrong name. And who boy, was it such a wrong thing that like, <laughs> like it was just instant credibility death. So um, thank, thank you, anonymous fan who helped me. And um, I apologize. I should sleep more. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you know what? Uh, thank you, everybody. We, we, I should say we, we get significantly more compliments and complaints. But you know, when you, when you make a show for so long, it's, it's going to happen, especially on the topics that we cover. Uh, Nate. Thank you again so much for joining me for four weeks of just absolute yeah. misery. Uh, and you can use this area to plug your various shows. Yeah, so I do a podcast with friend of the show, Francis Horton, called What a Hell of a Way to Die. It's a podcast about why you shouldn't join the military. And we also talk about dumb, funny military and veteran-related news. Uh, we both have a free show that comes out once a week. And we also have a Patreon, much like Lions Led by Donkeys. Uh, we share our Discord with the Lions Led by Donkeys Patreon community. And uh, for $5 a month, you can get every bonus episode we've ever done dating back to early 2017. So that's a whole lot of content. You can hear the audio quality get slightly better as I start to learn how to do my job. Um, (laughs) And uh, I also produce a film podcast called Kill James Bond that's hosted by three extremely funny trans people, uh, Alice Caldwell-Kelly, Abigail Thorne of Philosophy Tube, and Devin. Uh, It's extremely good. They just did a bunch of live shows. Those are coming out very soon. They they also have a Patreon if you want to hear more. And then uh, I produce a show called Trash Future, a podcast about... uh, um, well, why it's 
why we we think tech pessimism is more realistic than tech optimism and making fun of british news and discussing british news in a way that doesn't make you feel like you're being lied to or talked talked to by your kindergarten teacher um trying to just talk about what it's like to live in this country so uh hopefully any of those shows that are interesting to you you can check out the they all have free episodes and then they all have patreons so if you find you connect with one then you can get more absolutely and uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. If you like our show, what we do here, consider supporting us on Patreon. Like the other shows, you can get almost five years of bonus content for five bucks. Uh, you can donate more or less on what you want or what you can afford. Um, or, you know, you, I mean, along with bonus, you get Discord access, you get episodes for free. I'm currently reading my first book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and publishing it, uh, putting it on Patreon. As people have been asking for that for years, I'm having a I won't say fun doing it, but it's because I hate that fucking book. But it is an interesting time to go back and, and see how I was writing when I was that young compared to how I write now. And I do plan on doing that in the future as I legally can with my other books. Uh, so you can get all that for five bucks. But if you don't have anything, you don't want to give us anything, that's perfectly fine. Do what you will. But leave us a review on where you, wherever it is you listen to podcasts. It helps us greatly. Um, and... Yeah. Uh, until next time, the next episode will not be the sad. Uh, that is that is the Joe guarantee. Yeah, but the Joe is basically the Imperial Army, and he will hundred percent go back on his fucking promises. And just like next one is just gonna be genocide, terror, misery, volcanic eruption that kills people while they're jacking off and calcifies them as mummies. That like, is true, and I will not warn my co-host ahead of time. You certainly <laughs> won't. But thank you, Joe, for. All this informative content. Thank you for enlightening me about uh, the Irish execution squad in China and the emperor God's son that died eating grass like a dog. This has been incredible. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been uh, it's been probably one of my new favorite uh, series in a while. So I hope everybody enjoyed it as much as you can enjoy topics like these. I hope I at least made it interesting and consumable. Uh, and you know, until next time, uh, don't eat the grass outside of your front door, thinking it is a gift from God. It might look like mana, but it's just grass. <laughs>